Hey, hey, man, how good is it to be with God's people singing praises to him in a room this full? Like, I mean, I second what Wiley said. The Lord is up to something here at UNG. He is moving, um, and not just on this campus, but like there are multiple different colleges represented here, and it is so cool, man, such a blessing to me every Thursday to get to just stand off to the side and listen to you guys worship. Um, and it's like, it's just like audible proof as to how powerful the presence of the Lord is whenever his people come together. So cool. Um, well, if you would grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is where we will be tonight. Um, and go ahead and start to get familiar with where 2 Timothy is in your Bible. Because over the course of the next six weeks, we're going to be walking through this book together. Uh, new sermon series, we're calling it A Holy Life, and you'll see as we get into the book why that is the case. All right? Um, back in the year 2010, there was a famous theologian who asked the world a question that captivated everyone. And the question was this. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind, wanting to start again? That theologian's name was Katy Perry, that's right. Um, those of you who answered that, you're, you're going to do great at tonight's trivia, you will. So that question, you know, popular song, but it's funny how the world kind of took to that song. Uh, yeah, it's catchy, but also like the point of that song is that now there is a long list of Katy Perry songs I do not agree with, but follow me here. Um, the point of that song is that like you were made with a purpose, um, that, that there's like a calling on your life and nobody wants to feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind wanting to start again. Like that's kind of the idea behind that song. And it, it's funny Thinking about that idea, um, some of the studying that I was doing this week, I learned that the idea of calling, like a calling on your life, that is really an idea that has captivated our culture more than any culture ever before. Like over the last 10 to 15 years, there have been more academic studies done on the idea of calling than there has ever been in all of history before. It's something that we're drawn to, something that captivates us. Why? Because I think nobody wants to feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind wanting to start again. Is that right? Like no one wants to live a life that feels like it's got no purpose, no meaning, no aim. And tonight, as we jump into 2 Timothy... We're going to talk a lot about calling. Uh, tonight, I want you to understand that you have a calling. You have a specific calling. That calling is determined by God, given to you. And when you live inside of that calling, man, everything in life makes sense. But when you don't, life it's, it just kind of lacks meaning. It lacks direction. It lacks aim. And so tonight, I want to I challenge you to take your calling seriously. 
And we're going to talk about what your calling is as we jump into uh, this text today. Um, but when you hear me say that I'm going to talk about calling, your mind likely goes to something attached to your major. Is that true for anybody? Like when you hear me say the word calling, your mind, it, it likely goes to, oh, I have a nursing degree. My calling is to be a nurse. I have a kinesiology degree. My calling is to be whatever that is, a uh, physical therapist. Uh, I, you know, I, I have a, you know, working on law enforcement, criminal justice degree. So my calling is to be a police officer, fill in the blank, whatever your major is. Maybe that's where your mind goes. Or maybe when you hear the idea or the, the concept of calling, your mind goes to like a future role that you're going to fill one day. So my calling is to be a wife. My calling is to be a husband, a mom, a dad, a coach. I, I don't know what it is. A, a lot of times when you hear calling, your mind goes to things like that. But I, I want you to know that when we talk about calling, that's really not the picture that God's word paints of what a calling is, or rather what your calling is as a follower of Jesus. That, that your calling is not wrapped up in, oh, I'm called to be a nurse. I'm called to be a middle school PE teacher. Here's why. That's not your, according to scripture, that's not your calling. That's your gifting. Okay? And it's easy to get those things confused. See, when, and really, that's not even your gifting as much as it is uh, something that's produced from your gifting. Like, you're a nurse. You're wired to be, uh, the Lord has, like, made you compassionate towards people. He's made you, like, able to work with your hands, able to handle really short amounts of sleep. That's your gifting. And then nursing is just kind of what follows that, right? So here's the difference between calling and gifting. Gifting is just a vehicle that you use to help accomplish your calling. So, so your calling is not those things. It's not an occupation, not a role, not a career path. If it was your calling, do you realize like if your calling was to be, I don't know, a teacher, some of you are literally about to fulfill your calling in like a year. Then what? Like, great, you, you made it. You're finally a teacher. You, you've, you fulfilled your calling. What's next? And maybe you're like, well, I'll just be a teacher and fulfill. Okay, for how long? What happens when you're no longer a teacher? What happens when you retire? Or if your calling is to be a mom or a dad or whatever it is, what happens when those kids move out one day? See, if we think that those things are our calling, then there's going to be a small point in time in our life where we're satisfied. And then outside of the, the time frame that we're, we actually are doing those things, all of a sudden life just doesn't make as much sense. And the reason is because that's not your calling, it's your gifting. Calling according to scripture is something different. And Paul is going to spend the, this letter of 2 Timothy charging Timothy to live out the calling that God has given him. And the calling that God has given to Timothy is the same calling that he's given to you. And it's the same calling that he's given to everyone outside of this room who has made the decision to place their faith in Jesus. Anyone who says, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus, we've got the same calling. 
And so when we talk about calling, we're not talking about a role, a career path, uh, some, some sort of like future endeavor. We're talking about a lifelong mission that gives you purpose, aim, and meaning. And tonight we're going to talk specifically about what your calling is. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9 talk to us a lot about what our calling is. It says, therefore... Do not be ashamed, this is Paul talking to Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Your calling is wrapped up in those verses. You're called to a holy calling. Some of your Bibles might call that a holy life. So what does that mean? You're like, that sounds like a great calling, but what is it? Well, a holy life, according to the Bible, what we're called to as followers, disciples of Jesus, this holy life, it it means to be set apart. That's what the word holy means, to be set apart. So really, your life, you are called... Once you've been saved, you are called to live a life that exists in the world, but at the same time exists separately from it. Like like you exist here in the world, but you've also been set apart, separate from the world. It's a holy life that you've been called to. And when when I talk about that, being separate, I'm not just talking about holy actions, I'm not just talking about like the the things you do necessarily, right? Like that's definitely part of a holy life, but that's not the whole thing. I'm talking less about holy actions. I'm talking more about a holy mission. You've been called to a holy mission. So in light of this call on our life that we're to live a holy life, what's the mission that, that helps us attain a holy life? Well, there's a verse in 1 Peter chapter 2 that answers that question. In light of your calling, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. In light of your calling to a, to a holy life, 1 Peter chapter 2 says, But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Here it is, a holy nation. There's your calling right there in that verse. The calling of every single disciple of Jesus. You're called to a holy life, a people for his own possession, that you may, and here's your mission, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Your calling as a disciple of Jesus is to make Jesus famous. To make him known in whatever context you find yourself in, through whatever gifting you have been given. That is the call on every single one of us as a follower of Jesus. And when you don't take that calling seriously, when you think that something else is your calling, or you make the decision to just put that calling on the back burner until you get later on in life, and then you'll take it more seriously, when that calling is not the thing that just absolutely gives you purpose and direction in your life, you're going to feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind, wanting to start again. She was on to something with that song, not the other ones. So tonight in our passage, 
this is what Paul is going to tell Timothy how to do. How do I live this calling to make Jesus famous? Like, how do I actually execute that in my life? How do I make it like the heartbeat behind everything that I do? That's what we're going to look at tonight. Tonight, I want to give you three things that you need to know if you're going to take your calling seriously. Three things that you need to know if you're going to take your calling seriously. Let's start reading together in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you, constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Let's stop there. There are a couple clues that we read in those first five verses that tell us a little bit about this letter, tells us a little bit about who's writing it, who it's being written to, and what's going on with those two people, and where there's still some gaps missing from those first few verses, I'll kind of fill in, because we need to have some context before we move forward. The book of 2 Timothy is, is a letter, real short, written by the Apostle Paul to a guy named Timothy. Now, Timothy was like uh, Paul's son in the faith, and Paul was like Timothy's spiritual father, right? So t- it's, it's believed that On one of Paul's first few missionary journeys, he came across this guy named Timothy, and Timothy was converted, and Paul saw a lot of potential in Timothy. And so what he does over time after some discipleship, he actually leaves Timothy in charge of the church of Ephesus to be a pastor, leader, elder, shepherd in the church of Ephesus. And so this this book is really a charge to Timothy's leadership, but here's the problem. It's not just that. Because as it's being written, the Apostle Paul finds himself in prison in Rome. He's actually nearing the end of his life. Like this is actually the last book of the, of the Bible that Paul wrote. It was his final letter. This is like Paul's dying charge to Timothy. Uh, he's, He's giving Timothy this charge to encourage him to live out his calling, to use, to leverage his gifting to make Jesus famous. And it's the same calling that each and every one of us have. And so we'll look at this first thing that we need to know if we're going to take our calling seriously. It's found in verse six. Verse six says, for this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Let's stop there. You know, there's a really, like at the center of that verse, a really cool phrase. Fan into flame the gift of God. Really cool, like trademark sounding verse. But what does it mean? So Paul is telling Timothy in this little verse, or in this little section of that verse, he's saying, fan into flame the gift of God. That means take your calling seriously, Timothy. He's telling him, take your calling seriously, to which you might go, wait a second, I thought calling and gifting were two different things. That says gifting. And, and you would be right. Calling and gifting are two different things. But here, here, here's, here's the truth. 
when you take your calling seriously, you also take your gifting seriously. So, so when you take your calling seriously to make Jesus famous in every aspect of your life, that means that you simultaneously take your gifting really seriously. Timothy's gifting was evangelizing and pastoring. And Paul's saying here, Timothy, fan that into flame. Like get as good as you can possibly be at evangelizing and pastoring. Get really good at leveraging the gifting that God has given you to accomplish this calling of making him famous everywhere you go. You got to get really good at your gifting. And so tonight, if you're Timothy, Paul's telling you, Get really good at leveraging your gift of nursing or business or kinesiology or or whatever it is that you're pursuing that God has uniquely wired you for. Get really passionate about just being the best at that thing that you can be. Why? Because your gifting is the vehicle that you're going to use to accomplish your calling you got to take your gifting seriously if you're going to take your calling seriously. To which you might say, man, that sounds awesome. I've heard that sermon before. I've got to make Jesus famous. And so in order to do that, I've got to be a really good fill in the blank. I've heard that sermon before. But how? Like, like how do I actually do it? Because I've been told to do it, but I don't actually like, know how to make it happen. Well, the answer is found at the beginning of the verse. And I just realized, I never actually told you guys what the first point is, but this feels like a good time. Um, the first point is this, that faith fuels your calling. Faith fuels your calling. And you'll see why that's the first point right here, because at the beginning of this verse, Paul starts verse 6 by saying what? For this reason, I remind you, to fan into flame the gift of God. For what reason? Well, we got to like do some backtracking. We got to trace up some verses. But it's actually, I'll go ahead and tell you, it's in verse 5. The reason that Paul is talking about that Timothy needs to fan into flame the gift of God is because of his sincere faith. We read that in verse 5 just a second ago. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother and in your mother, and now I'm sure dwells in you for this reason. So in other words, Timothy, because of your sincere faith, I'm reminding you to fan this gifting into flame. There's a connection between faith and fanning this gifting into flame. And the connection is that faith is the fuel to the fire. Faith is how you're going to fan this gifting into flame. Here's what I mean. One of the biggest reasons that people do not want to leverage their gifting to accomplish their calling is because rather than having a bunch of Christian nurses, Christian lawyers, Christian police officers, Christian teachers, we got a bunch of nurses that just so happen to be Christians on Sundays and maybe Thursdays. We, we got a bunch of police officers that just so happen to be Christians on Sundays, maybe Thursdays. Same thing for so many different positions and, call, and, uh, and giftings. And, and rather, what Paul, like what we need more of 
is we need more people who like their gifting, it completely intersects with their faith. Their faith is a part of everything they do. That's what the Bible would say here is a sincere faith. So if you want to use your gifting to make a difference for the kingdom, if you want to fan that gift that God has given you into flame, man, start taking your faith really seriously. Like get fired up about the gospel. Get fired up about the fact that you have crossed from death to life because of the good news of this book. Get fired up about the fact that you are dead in your trespasses and sins, that you are a new creation in Christ. Like, let that fire you up and spur you to action. Get really serious about figuring out, like getting in this book and figuring out who Jesus is and just trying to become as much like that as you possibly can. Have a sincere faith. Like, take your faith seriously. It's going to fan that gifting into flame. So we talking about uh, like fanning things into flame. It, it made me think about our uh, camping trips that we do for college ministries. Spring and fall camping trip. We've got another camping trip coming up in a few months. Um, but man, if you've never been on one of those camping trips, they are a blast. We go up to the Blue Ridge Parkway in North Carolina, like 60-something people. It is so much fun. Uh, we go up there. We camp out. One of like, you know, my favorite parts we all go watch a sunset together, and if the weather's bad, we watch the clouds move around. It's really cool. Um, but we will go watch a sunset together, and then after the sun sets, we like head back to the campsite. And when we get back to the campsite, like the, the first thing that there is to do is we got to get the fires started because people got to be able to see, get warm, we got to cook dinner, all these different things, right? And so what tends to happen is all of the guys that feel they need to like prove their manhood to everyone else they're like we're gonna go start the fires and so they like you know go and they get gather sticks and all these different things and so they get around we got like multiple fire pits and there's this like unspoken competition as to who can build the best fire pit and it's not like something that you would know is going on but if you're over there they're like making snarky comments at each other's fires and it's a scene okay but here's what happens There's different types of fires being built. There's different approaches to fanning these flames into existence. You got approach number one. This, you know, you you got a a team of guys that just, man, they're zero to 100. So what they do, they take a fire starter, light that sucker, drop it in the middle of the fire pit, put some small sticks on, put some big sticks on, and take the biggest thing they can find and just start going, like fanning it as hard as they can. And what happens is that thing just goes, erupts for about two minutes. And then it dies. Because they fanned that flame as hard as they could. They fueled that fire as hard as they could, like, sporadically. Like, they gave it a good start. But see, there's another kind of fire that's built. It starts off a little slower. Might start off with a little fire starter, some small, like dry shavings, some smaller sticks, a little bit bigger, a little bit, and just constantly a little bit of sticks, a little bit of wood, a little bit of uh, fanning, a little bit of like blowing in the fire, fanning it with something, and just a little more, a little more, little by little. And let me tell you, at the end of the night, that's the fire that you want to be around. And here's the difference. Inconsistent fuel 
versus steady fuel. A lot of us have, have inconsistent faith. And inconsistent faith means inconsistent fuel to your calling. Your call, like, like if you have an inconsistent faith, what's going to happen is for a short season, you're going to get really, really passionate about your calling. You're going to get really, really passionate about making sure everybody around you knows Jesus. But if you are not instilling the discipline in your life, not of like, man, I'm going to just give it everything that I can for a short season and then just kind of going to die off. Unless you've instilled this discipline of steady, little by little, incremental deposits each and every day, you're not going to fan this gifting into flame. A lot of us have a faith that looks like the American scream machine at Six Flags. You guys know what I'm talking about? Up and down, up and down, right? Like, man, Passion Conference, it's amazing, and then spring semester. And then like summer camp, and it's awesome, and then fall semester. And it's just you're relying on these big things, great things. But if that's what you're building your faith on, you've got an inconsistent faith, which means inconsistent fuel to your calling. Faith fuels your calling. We got to have a sincere faith like Timothy if we're going to step into this calling of making Jesus famous through our gifting in every area of life possible. The second thing I want you to see tonight is found um, in these next few verses. It's this, that fear hinders your calling. Faith fuels your calling, but fear hinders your calling. Read with me in verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. I'll stop there. I want you to see tonight, not only does faith fuel your calling, but fear hinders your calling. When that, in verse 7, when we see the word fear, it says God did not give us a spirit of fear. That word fear is not like, it's not like a phobia. It's not like, man, I'm afraid of spiders. I'm afraid of snakes. I'm afraid of tight spaces. It's, it's not like I'm afraid of, of those little things. It's like a picture of paralysis, like a deer in a headlights, I'm so scared I can't move, can't make any progress forward. I was a camp counselor whenever I was in college, worked at a camp uh, called Woodlands Camp over in Cleveland. And back in the day, Woodlands had this thing. It was like a ropes course, a little one that went over some water, okay? Uh, they called it the monkey bridge. And so basically the idea was that you and your cabin would kind of navigate through this little rope bridge over this small cove of water, and if you fell, you fell in the water, and oh no. And if you made it across, it was awesome. Super fun, right? It terrified kids. Terrified them. I will never forget. I'm counseling. Our boys are at the, uh, this monkey bridge. I'm on one side of it. Kids are coming across the other side of it. Like half of the cabin had made it through. There was a kid that was coming across. He got to about the middle of the bridge. I mean, great start, great start. Terrible finish. 
made it to the middle of the bridge, and just locked up, froze, like was not moving. I'm like, come on, man, you got this, like, you know, encouraging him, and he's locked up, he's shaking, and finally, there, a, little, a little bit of moisture started to drip down his leg. I'll let you put the pieces together, okay? Um, and the whole cabin is like watching this take place. And these are young kids, right? Like they are wired to just roast people when stuff like this happens. And so, I mean, he's up there for the world to see. That happens. And the, like the kids, they're young. They didn't put two and two together. So they're like, why is he wet? And I'm like, I think a fish jumped out of the water and hit him. Did you see that? And they're like, crazy, you know? And so... I, you know, I ended up having to go out on the bridge and rescue him and got him, you know, got him back onto land. But, man, it, it paralyzed him. And I think about that, and it's like that, that's what fear does to us when it comes to our calling. It keeps us from stepping into that which God has called us to. Fear can hinder our calling. It's crazy to me that Paul told Timothy in these verses Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. And here's why it's crazy. Because you'll see as we jump further and further into this letter that Paul is literally going to list like so many things that Timothy will encounter as he steps into his calling that people should be afraid of. Like, hey, Timothy, you might be beaten for this message that you're going to go preach. You might be arrested. You could be killed. You could be made fun of. Like people are going to want to argue with you. All things that like Timothy would be very like validly scared of. Paul's like, don't be afraid. As he is chained to a wall in a Roman prison awaiting a death sentence. Don't be afraid. How can you say on like on the front of something like that and Paul experiencing that what he's experiencing, how can you say, don't be afraid? Like, is there anything wrong with being afraid of those kinds of things? How can, how can Paul say that? It's, the answer is this. It's because of where he's placed his trust. I want you to see tonight this about fear. Fear is simply trust that has been misplaced. Fear is trust that has been misplaced. Paul was really clear with us. He tells us in these verses where his trust is, which is why he can say, don't be afraid. See, his trust, if you look at verse 10, it's in this. He says, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Paul's got his trust in heaven. That's what he's saying. I've got my trust in the gospel, which brings about eternal life, which brings about immortality. So nothing that this world can throw at me can keep me from my calling because my calling is not of this world. My calling is to heaven. And so, man, that totally transforms the way that Paul thinks. And if you read the New Testament, if you read his letters, you will get a picture of that. Because like Paul is the number one enemy of anyone who opposes the gospel. And I'll tell you why. Because this guy is stubborn. Like, what happens is, people who oppose the gospel will come at Paul, and they'll be like, hey, Paul, if you talk about the gospel anymore, we are going to take you into a prison, and we're just going to beat you. He's like, 
I'm not even worthy of suffering for the gospel. They're like, okay, that's not going to do it. We'll tell you what, we'll just kill you. Paul's like, that's great to live as Christ, but like to die is gain. I get to be with Jesus forever in heaven. They're like, okay, I guess that's not going to work either. Like, okay, Paul, we'll just let you go. He's like, well, then I'm just going to share the gospel with everybody that I come in contact with. Like, this guy's the worst. You cannot stop him because he's got his trust in what matters. He's got his trust in the right place. And fear is simply trust that's been misplaced. You know, that really does change the way that we go about everything when we put our trust in the right place. Like when you're afraid of something, you're you're allowing your trust to cling to that thing that you are afraid of. Here's what I mean. If you're afraid to step into your calling of making Jesus famous wherever you go through whatever gifting you've been given, if you're afraid to step into your calling because of what people think about you. Like, what would they say about me? What would they think about me if I just dove in head first to this, to this whole Jesus thing? What would people say? What would people think? Well, you're taking your trust and you're putting it in the opinions of other people to give you satisfaction and meaning. That's what's happening when you're fearing what other people will think. If you're afraid of failure, you're putting your trust in success. You're afraid of your circumstances. Well, you're putting your trust in your circumstances to be fulfilled. Fear is just trust that has been misplaced. If we can get our trust fixed on the right things, then we won't fear anything that this life has to throw at us, and nothing can keep us from this calling that the Lord has put on our life. The enemy wants us as followers of Jesus to live in fear so that he can keep us from doing anything that might make Jesus famous. He wants to keep you from it, man. Like like he wants to whisper lies in your ear. He wants you to take your trust off of heaven, this inheritance that we've been given, and he wants you to put your trust in the things that he says about you. That, man, you're, you're damaged goods. Like you can't be effective for for the kingdom of God, if people only knew what you've done, like they, no one would believe you, no one would listen to you. Those are the lies that the enemy wants to get you to believe. He wants you to take your trust off of Christ and the gospel, and he wants your trust to be on the lies that he's going to whisper in your ear. Fear is just trust that's been misplaced. And so how do we counter fear? Through the help of the Holy Spirit, according to this verse. We've been given a spirit, not of fear. We've been given a spirit of power, love, uh, self-control. So through, this, through God's spirit living in us, working through us, we have the power to place our trust in the only thing that our trust is worthy of being placed in. And that is Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. That is what Paul would call immortality and life. That's how we conquer fear. You've heard it said maybe that fear is just faith in the enemy. I think that's so true. And so fear can hinder our calling. The final thing I want us to see tonight is this, that Christ fulfills our calling. Christ fulfills our calling. Read verse 12 with me. 
says in verse 12, um, but I am not ashamed. This is Paul saying, I'm not ashamed, Timothy, of the gospel, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Uh, Let's stop there. Paul says here in that verse, we're going to summarize it. He's basically saying, I know that while I was on earth, I had this responsibility. Like I had this, my gifting being leveraged to accomplish this call of making Jesus famous. For me, it looked like guarding the teaching about Christ, uh, carrying his name to the world, correcting wrong teaching, starting and shepherding the church. Like that was my call. And Paul is saying, I know that even after I'm gone, that the Lord is going to be the one who allows this thing to succeed. Here's here's what I mean. At this point in time in Paul's life, he's approaching the finish line. He could so easily start to play the what-if game. I've spent my whole life like, like just laying it all out there, trying to get people to follow Jesus, trying to do everything I can to get people to believe. What happens when I'm gone? Like what if Timothy gets captured and killed? What if people start to turn their back on the faith? What if like an, an emperor comes to power that says, hey, I'm going to just start killing Christians. Like what if, what if, what if all these things could have started popping into Paul's mind? It, it, it certainly could have, but Paul says, no, I'm convinced that Christ is able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. That, in other words, Christ fulfills your calling. That's the third point. That Christ fulfills this calling for you. That Christ, not me, who he is the one that's going to keep this thing going while I'm gone. You know, at the end of the day, there's not a single one of us, and this is such good news, There is not a single one of us who are responsible for success in our calling. We're just responsible for faithfulness in our calling. Success is up to the Lord. Success is up to His Holy Spirit working in and through us. Success is not up to us. What's up to us is faithfulness in our calling. And he will handle the rest. He's the one that's going to bring our calling to fulfillment. And that should give us so much freedom as we walk in this calling that we've been given to make Jesus famous through the gifting, the way that we are wired and the the gifts that the Lord has given us. But here's the thing. It's so easy, y'all, to put a bunch of pressure on ourselves. You feel that? Like it's so easy to put pressure on yourself and go, man, I don't know if I can do this because I'm really afraid that if I were to step into this calling, whatever that might look like, that I'm going to mess it up, that I'm going to fail, that like I'm somehow going to, that I'm somehow going to let God down. I don't know how I can like have a conversation with those people about Jesus because I don't know all the answers myself. I don't know how I I can take whatever step, like leading a small group. I don't know how I can go on a mission trip. I don't know how I can go into ministry because I'm afraid of messing up and letting God down. There's a guy by the name of Moses in the book of Exodus, maybe you've heard of him, that dealt with this same thing. Moses, in the beginning of Exodus, had this wiring, this gifting to lead 
Like God had gifted him to do that. And so he had this gifting to lead and this calling to make Jesus famous wherever he went. And so that, that calling ended up looking like trying to lead the people of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. God, God comes to Moses, tells him, like, this is what your life is going to look like. And Moses goes, no, 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 no. Like, there's, Lord, there's no way. Like, sure, I can lead, but, but I can't talk. I, like, I, Moses, he, he said, like, I, I have some kind of speech impediment. There, there's no way that I can accomplish this thing that you're asking me to do. I won't succeed, Lord. I can't do it because I'm afraid that I'm going to let you down. And God's like, Moses, you're not holding me up. And none of us are. That's the truth that, that we are not responsible for fulfilling our calling ourselves. We can't be afraid that we're going to let God down because it's not our responsibility to hold him up in the first place. God is the one that is responsible for the success, and we're the ones who are responsible for faithfulness. You know how I know that we're not responsible for the fulfillment of our calling, for success? Because look at verse 15. Paul says to Timothy, hey, Timothy, you're aware that everyone in Asia, all who are in Asia, turned away from me, among whom are Figalus and Hermogenes, the weirdest names I've ever heard. Paul says, everybody in Asia has turned their backs on me. If I'm keeping score, that feels like failure. But did Paul fail in his calling? Absolutely not. Because even though Paul saw some problems. He saw some people turn their backs on him. Something that, that anybody evaluating would go, yeah, that, that's not success. The Lord has other plans because we're not the ones responsible for fulfilling our calling. We're the ones responsible for faithfulness. At this time, I want to invite the band to come back up. You know, some of you tonight, God has been stirring something inside of you, and only you know what it is. Only you at the end of the day knows what that is. But man, you're too worried. Get this. You're too worried about the outcome to move forward. God's put something in your heart, like a way that you're going to leverage your gifting to make much of him, but you are too concerned about what the outcome might be to move forward. Can I tell you tonight, you are not responsible for the outcome. You are responsible for faithfulness because it's not you, but Christ who fulfills your calling. Y'all, we have this incredible mission, this call on our life to take the gifting that God has given us in his grace and to make him famous as, as we go about our lives. That is our calling. And if you allow yourself to get wrapped up in, in lesser things, if you, if you prioritize the gifting over the calling, then, then you are going to feel like your life has no aim, no direction, no purpose. But I'm telling you, man, if you can just get this, if you can understand that we are called as followers of Jesus to leverage our gifting, to make much of Jesus, I promise you, you will live a life that has so much meaning, so much fulfillment. Like the Lord will do things through you that you never thought possible because it is not you doing them in the first place. It's him working through you. 
And so tonight, I want to challenge you to take your calling seriously, whatever that looks like. Man, some of you guys tonight, you're here, you're at Revive, it's maybe your first time, and you're going, I don't need, I came for trivia, hoping to walk out of here with a gift card. I want you to know tonight, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, before you can get to any of this calling stuff that we talked about tonight, there's, a, there's another calling. Uh, it, it, it's your heavenly father calling to you, saying that he wants a relationship with you. That's your first and foremost calling, is to a relationship with Jesus. And this is kind of cool. The same points that I gave you guys tonight about your calling after you're a disciple of Jesus are true for those of you who do not have a relationship with him. If you remember, I said at the beginning that faith fuels your calling. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that faith is the fuel for that calling. It, it is simply, a relationship with Jesus is simply taking your trust off of the things that, that you were hoping would get you somewhere in life and placing them on the finished work of Jesus. That man, when he died on the cross, that that counted for you. That that was atonement, payment for your sin debt. Faith fuels your calling. But I also want you to know tonight that fear hinders your calling. That right now, as you hear me talking about what it would look like to have a relationship with Jesus, to get to spend eternity with him, the enemy is putting all these thoughts in your mind right now as to why that's not a good idea. Hey, hey, no, no, no. You got to clean up first. You, 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 you got you to gotta get your life straight. No, no, no. What will people think of you? He's putting all these thoughts in your mind. I just want you to know fear hinders your calling. Your heavenly father is calling you to a relationship with him and the enemy would love nothing more than to take your trust away from Christ, away from the gospel and to get you to believe his words about you over God's words about you. And the coolest thing, the final point, that Christ fulfills your calling. That if, if you tonight want to accept the call to a relationship with Jesus, it has nothing to do with what you bring to the table. And it has everything to do with the fact that God has done everything needed for you to experience a relationship with him and spend eternity with him forever in heaven. So tonight, I want to invite you to close your eyes, bow your heads. And I just want you to, to, to think tonight, and have I answered that first calling, the calling to a relationship with Jesus? And man, this room is weird. It's, it's not a great room for response. And so I'll just do this tonight. Like, if you're in here and you would say, hey, I have not answered the primary call of my life to a relationship with Jesus, would you just slip your hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you. Uh, not going to call you out. Not going to do anything like that. Go ahead. That's awesome. Awesome. See a few hands. Praise the Lord. Nice and high. Praise the Lord. Hey, uh, if you guys would... Those of you who raised your hands, um, I'd love to have a conversation with you afterwards, answer any questions that you have. Our girls director, Anne-Marie, like, we want to help you make that decision. And so you can come find myself or her down front after service. We'd love to talk with you about what that looks like. I want to invite everybody to stand. The band is going to lead us here in a time of response. Assuming that you have answered the call to a relationship with Jesus, like we said, all of us have a call to leverage our gifting and make much of Jesus every single day of our life. So my question is, what does that look like for you? 
during this time of response, I want you to think about that, pray about that, and uh, let's worship some more together. Let me pray. Father, we love you. God, we praise you because you've given us this holy calling to a holy life. God, I ask that you would stir in hearts tonight, that you would make clear uh, what next steps need to be taken. And God, that you would receive so much glory for, uh, from each and every one of our lives. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.